Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, March seventh episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have highlighted over 100 poets from eight countries on five continents. And we hope to continue to do this work with your support. And you can do that by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. With us today is Lee M.S., with whom I will be discussing their poem, Don't Waste My Time, or Mevares Vega, and my poem, The Fishing Party. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of March 8th. You can see a more detailed list of poetry events featuring our past poets at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. Again, that's at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. On Monday, March 8th from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. British time, the Poetry Translation Center will be hosting their Translating Poetries, the Sarah Maguire Prize shortlist featuring Nuri Algera, Takako Arai, Fauzi Karim, Kim Ideen, Judith Santopietro, and Yan Lian. You can find out more information and register at poetrytranslation.org forward slash events. Again, that's poetrytranslation.org forward slash events. From 8.15 p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting their weekly open mic, and you can find out more information and register at labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound sign events. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound sign events. From 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground We Play Clean open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's poets underscore playground underscore. On Tuesday, March 9th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their weekly first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their Daniel Boizotsky and Pupe Misagi live reading and conversation. You can find out more information at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's cityofasylum.org. From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, the St. Louis Park Friends of the Arts 
will be hosting their Stay at Home Open Mic Poetry Jam. You can find out more information at slpfota.org forward slash events. Again, that's slpfota.org forward slash events. From 8 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Alexa Lash and Kiana Major will be hosting their Creatively Undistanced Open Mic. You can find out more information at Major Muse on Instagram. Again, that's at Major Muse on Instagram. Muse is spelled M-U-Z-E. From 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground We Play Dirty Open Mic, again via Instagram at Poets underscore Playground underscore. Again, that's at Poets underscore Playground underscore. From 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poetry Center San Jose and Works San Jose Art and Performance Center will be hosting their well-read featuring Nick Butterfield, Emilio Gallegos, Jeffrey Leonard, Amy Mayer, Doug Nelson, and Vanessa Sanchez. You can find out more information at pcsj.org. Again, that's at pcsj.org. On Wednesday, March 10th, from 6 p.m. Amsterdam time, Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their Inspiration Factory writing workshop by Janice. You can find out more information at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops.html. Again, that's wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops.html. From 8.30 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting their weekly online open mic. You can find out more information at sidewalk underscore Beirut. Again, that's at sidewalk underscore Beirut. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Hassan Valley Writers' Center will be hosting an evening with Kazim Ali, Joe Bielowski, and Mark Wunderlich. You can find out more information at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. From 5 to 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Asian American Justice and Innovation Lab will be hosting the second of their A session, A Poetic Envisioning of Our Collective Future with Carol Scott. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash aajil.org. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash aajil.org. From 7.15 p.m. Central Standard Time, Luya Poetry will be hosting their Luya 29 Equinox Open Mic. You can find out more information at Luya Poetry on Instagram or Twitter. Again, that's at Luya Poetry on Instagram or Twitter. From 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their weekly poetry workshop with Beth Ruscio. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops. Again, that's beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops. On Thursday, March 11th, from 9 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their weekly open mic. 
You can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. Again, that's parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. On Friday, March 12th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information by emailing the host, who is Andrina Leanne, on Instagram at survivor.andrina.leanne. Again, that's survivor.andrina.leanne. Andrina is spelled A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A, and Leanne is spelled L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Lebanon time, Sidewalk Batroom will be hosting their Challenging Instagram Poetry Creative Writing Workshop. You can find out more information at Sidewalk Batroom on Instagram. Again, that's at Sidewalk Batroom on Instagram. Batroom is spelled B-A-T-R-O-U-N. Again, that's B-A-T-R-O-U-N. From 7 p.m. West African time, Graciano and Warham will be hosting his Corona versus Open Mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Warham. That's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. From 7 to 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, the Sun Valley Jack and Joe chapter will be hosting their monthly open mic hosted by our past poet guest, Tamika, a.k.a. Dr. T. You can get the Eventbrite link at Jack and Joe Sun Valley on Instagram. Again, that's at Jack and Joe Sun Valley on Instagram. From 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the Los Angeles Poet Society will be hosting their monthly Lunario Poetico, their Spanish-language open mic, Microfono Abierto en Español. You can find out more information at lapoetsociety.org forward slash events. Again, that's lapoetsociety.org forward slash events. On Saturday, March 13th, from 12 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Poetry Passport will be hosting their writer's workshop with a theme of food. You can find out more information at The Poetry Passport on Instagram. Again, that's at The Poetry Passport on Instagram. From 7 to 10 p.m. British time, Women of Words will be hosting their Maiden Mother Crone reading featuring Darcy O'Rourke, Christine Sanford, Paula David, Carmen Ali, Deborah Watson, and Joe Feho. You can find out more information at women.ofwords on Instagram. Again, that's at women.ofwords on Instagram. From 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, The Root Slam will be hosting their virtual writing workshop this week for Black writers 18 and up only. You can find out more information and register at rootslam.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's rootslam.org forward slash calendar. From 1 to 3 p.m. Arizona time, 
the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing and the Heard Museum will be hosting their NEA Big Reef Phoenix Bill Manny Il with Manny Loli. You can find out more information at piper.asu.edu forward slash NEA hyphen big hyphen read. Again, that's piper.asu.edu forward slash NEA hyphen big hyphen read. From 12 to 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Allie Jones and most graduate writers will be hosting their Raise Your Voice Community Writing Workshop facilitated by Landon Smith. You can find out more information at alliejones.com forward slash writing. Again, that's at alliejones.com forward slash writing. From 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Moroccan poets will be hosting their open mic via Instagram at Moroccan poets. Again, that's at Moroccan poets. From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Arizona time, Palabras Bookstore, co-founded by our past poet guest, Rosaura Magana, will be restarting their BIPOC open mic. You can find out more information at palabrasbookstore.com. Again, that's at palabrasbookstore.com. From 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the Los Angeles Poets Society presents an open mic featuring Natalie Roman, Margot Perrin, Don Campbell, and V.K. Lynn. You can find out more information at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. Again, that's at Los Angeles Poets Society on Instagram. On Sunday, March 14th from 3 to 4 p.m. Alaska Standard Time, the Alaska Quarterly Review will be hosting their Pièce de Résistance benefit reading featuring Jesse Lee Kershaw, Sarah Eliza Johnson, and Victoria Kelly. You can find out more information at aqreview.org forward slash events. Again, that's aqreview.org forward slash events. From 4.45 to 7 p.m. British time, Andrina and GJ will be hosting their Adult Survivors Open Mic. You can find out more information and register at Adult Survivors Open Mic. Again, that's at Adult Survivors Open Mic on Instagram. From 6.30 p.m. British time, Run Your Tongue will be hosting their open mic featuring our past poet guest, Jeff Cottrell. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 707-138-333-285042. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 707 707- one zero eight three 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 two eight five zero four two. From four to five thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Hudson Valley Writer Center will be hosting Slappering Hole Press presents the annual Sanger Stewart Reading with Aaron Casido Kimura and Matthew Thorburn. You can find out more information at writercenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. From 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting a tribute to Ralph Angel with Mary Angel, David St. John, and Jim Nato readings and remembrances. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash calendar. 
Again, that's beyondbaroque.org forward slash calendar. From 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the Poetry Center San Jose will be hosting their San Jose Poetry Slam. You can find out more information at pcsj.org. Again, that's at pcsj.org. And now let us turn to our Poet Guest of the Week, Lee M.S. Hi, Lee. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course, of course. So you brought with you your poem, Don't Waste My Time, or Me Vales Vega. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Right. So I am a Mexican slash American uh, queer poet from El Paso, Texas, and Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Writing has always been like the passion for me, but you know, writing doesn't give you a lot of money so that you can survive with. <laughs> so I dedicate my off time so in, edu- in education, in the field of education, advising other students in regards to like career counseling. Okay, cool, great. Do you uh, concentrate on a particular area of career counseling or just in general? In general, but I tend to work more with students who are seeking to become teachers. So, so I help them throughout that the process of selecting, yes, I want to be a teacher, and if they're not really sure about it going through the route of like researching and educating themselves of what is required there and then after that if they decide you know what this is not for me finding routes for them okay and are these college students or high school yes there are college students in the university in our local region they consider it a non-traditional university meaning that it's a computer campus not a residency campus Uh, okay and a lot of our students are international students, meaning they come mostly from Mexico, but we do have programs with Brazil. I forgot the other country that we have it with. We have a lot also with Portugal and other areas like on, on Europe, okay. aside from that. Okay. So we have a very non-traditional population, meaning that you don't have your typical right out of high school student coming into college. Right, right. And in terms of your own writing, in the beginning, when you were introducing yourself, you have mentioned you were something, something poet, but I couldn't hear the adjective. Oh, yeah. I'm a queer Mexican poet. Ah, okay. In regards to the writing part, my area of specialty, what I got my degree on is mental health. So I like to explore mental health and stigma against mental health in the Mexican and Mexican-American community. Right. In regards to access and then, of course, like the resources available in our borderland. Mm-hmm. Well, that must be extra important, especially this year. Oh yes, it's been it's been interesting to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just read recently about how using the pandemic as an excuse to seal borders has caused many asylum seekers to be turned back. So. Yes, and those who are currently on the system, they are still in the. Uh, I, I don't have any other words to call it by concentration camps so they're still there right uh, and a lot of them have are infected already with covid so we don't know how they're doing in there if they have any medical care etc right right and that depends on i think where they are as well because i think it was georgia that had that horrible forced sterilization uh, yes so yeah there's a lot of horrors that because of the overwhelming news around the pandemic is not being highlighted now um, as before. 
In terms of your own writing, when did you start writing poetry? Oh boy, I was 11 years old. Right now I'm 30 years old, so that's been a long while. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was 11 and I started writing in Spanish, which is my native language. Uh, I lived in Mexico from when I was born all the way to 24, I believe it was, when I moved to the United States. Okay, okay. So my primary language has always been Spanish, and that's how I started writing in Spanish. Okay. Uh, do you remember what it was about, your first poem or some of your first poems? Horrible, horrible love poetry. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't feel bad because you're not alone. There are many, many people who started out exactly that way. <laughs> Have you been writing poetry continuously since then? Yes, it's pretty much my number one coping without the need to pay anybody for it. Right. Therapy is expensive. Yes. So um, when I was a student in, in college, and, uh, in high school, middle school, and everywhere, I, that's what I used to in order to cope. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the major stigmas that it comes with, like at least on, on my side of the border in Mexico and, and El Paso, Texas, mm-hmm. it is that therapy is only for the crazy people or for los locos. And the crazy people are crazy for therapy so you never got that sort of attention in regards to mental health even from your, your parents and that the, there was no talk about that right right which is in itself must be incredibly frustrating and adds to the psychological pressures mm-hmm. the poem you brought now knowing a little bit about your background alludes a little bit to the psychological effects probably now will be a good time for you to read that for us. And since you wrote it in English first, let's have the English version first and then the Spanish. Definitely. So well, the poem, it started with a completely different musical title, as you remember. Uh, I had to take away that title so that way it didn't give out a lot of the poem. <laughs> and it stemmed out from a conversation on Instagram from a person who added me and it went downhill from there. I approached them with caution, a warning sign hanging from their necks like batches of honor. I assigned them a voice, a slur of spice with cheap cologne, and words I wouldn't dream to say, much less to a stranger. I am suspicious, paranoid after 30 long years of encounters. The last time I smiled at them, they followed my steps, yelled remarks at my legs until I took a sharp left to the unknown, just to pretend I was safe. I am not your dear, not your friend, not interested in sharing my time and my story, and pretend like this won't end with an unwanted picture of your dick. And the Spanish version, it's called Me Vales Verga. Me acerco a ellos con cautela, ya que cargan una señal de advertencia en sus cuellos, como insignas de honor. Les asigno una voz, un tono, condimentado con colonia barata y palabras que ni siquiera podría yo decirle a un extraño. Soy receloso de mi espacio, paranoico después de 30 largos años de encuentros. La última vez que le sonreí, siguieron mis pasos y piropearon a mis piernas, hasta que di vuelta a la izquierda, a lo desconocido, solo para pretender que estaba a salvo. No soy tu querida, no soy tu amigo, no me interesa compartir ni mi tiempo ni historia y pretender como si esto no fuera a terminar con una fotografía indeseable de tu pene. Gracias. 
also, I feel like the Spanish version kind of packs more of a punch to it. I think it's just because Spanish is my primary language. I always add the London Spanish book and zine fair where bilingual poets and writers from the Latinx community there were talking about one of the panels I attended was specifically about writing in between cultures and what it means. And they were talking about a similar thing. And I'm also bilingual. So there is a sense, especially you using English more primarily now after your mid-20s, the language will feel emotionally more distant to you. So it makes sense. Yeah. You had talked about writing in both English and Spanish, but this poem, the first version you wrote was in English. That's Have you observed like when you write first a, a piece in English and when you write first a piece in Spanish? What I've seen is that if I am talking throughout the day more in English and that towards the end of the day when I try to dedicate some time to writing, it goes out in English. But okay. if I spend most of my time speaking in Spanish, maybe with my family, it just goes out in Spanish first. So what I tend to do is whichever language it comes out first, I translate it, and I try to be in the mindset in which the, the translation is not just the literal translation, but it also maintains that same meaning behind it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So this particular poem, I, I really loved it. I, I saw you post it on Instagram. I was just like, oh my god, I want to know about this, because this <laughs> is, unfortunately, it's just such a familiar experience for especially female-identifying people. <laughs> yeah, any feminine person. Like, if you present them, like, in any spectrum of it, of what that means, you're going to see this a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's like... <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't I don't know what the people who do this thinks the the people who expose themselves. I mean there are people who just enjoy the aspect of exhibitionism. And maybe that's and you never know until you meet that person and they don't tell you obviously. They just present you with their appendage and you're like, Okay. What do you want me to do with it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, should I, should I print off a copy and, and frame it? <laughs> I'm deducing from the emotional impact of it that this is a, a real, based off of a real event. Yes. Just to make it short in regards to what happened, somebody on Instagram, this is my writing Instagram, added me. Mm -hmm. I asked them, like, who? they were and then they started like pleasant conversation you know like oh my name is this i saw that you share poetry really approachable type of response mm -hmm. uh, which kind of lowers your guard a little bit because you're like oh okay cool this is a person that just likes to connect with other poets mm -hmm. and then the conversation starts drifting towards more personal type of questions like are you married i am divorced i live in this place it doesn't matter how blunt you are and how i don't know how you Say it in English, portante, uh, how... Short. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, you just give them, like, a super yes-no answer, and that's it. That way they, it, they don't ask more of them that. Mm -hmm. They continue going. So this person continued going to the point that they asked me for my WhatsApp. <laughs> I refused the WhatsApp because I knew exactly what was going to happen afterwards. So I blocked the person completely before it happened. <laughs> so thank you. I didn't get to frame another dick pic for my diary of dick pics, you know. 
<laughs> Don't say that because I think that that's just going to get people's hopes up. That you know, yeah, there will be people who think, "Oh my God, somebody has a diary of dick pics. She must want mine." <laughs> Sorry, the I mistranslated. I think it's Kurt. It's the English word for. Is it Cortado? Yes, I don't know how to say it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kurt. So yeah, my my answers were kind of like short and just like yeah, yes, I'm married. Okay, bye, and stuff like that. But he kept going, and I think a lot of them people know this exactly like the type of conversation that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That experience in which you just want to get out of that conversation, but this other person is not picking up the cues, either in the written format or if you're being completely direct or your body language is talking for you. It's just something that is so pervasive when you try to engage, especially with cis men. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the person, of course, but there are many men who are taught from when they're young that you know this idea of never taking no for an answer, which kind of works well in career settings, not sexual, not career settings as in sexual relations, but. Career professional endeavors, <laughs> and, and yeah. somehow they think that this is something that they should also do in terms of sexual relations, and it's very troublesome because women or femme-identified people are usually taught or raised to be accommodating, to be you know courteous, to take care of everybody's feelings. Yes. So it's it's not a good mix when that happens because we're trying to tell them in our body language when we're in person or by giving them very curt answers that we're not interested, but they don't think of it as meaningful. I mean, even if you come out and say things like "not interested," <laughs> it's still meaningless in many many settings, yep. which is always you know make you feel. Make us feel kind of like we don't matter. It's not about us, and it isn't about us for the most part. Yeah, it's mostly about just having, I guess, a little bit of power over somebody else, even if they don't think it's a power thing. Like it's definitely subconsciously at least power dynamic. Right. Right. Exactly. It's like <laughs> you know, I'm so important. This piece of me is so important. This is me in a in a small package. No matter how big it is, it's still a small package. So, yeah, it's it's really amazing the amount of people who will think it's okay to just be like, hey. <laughs> I really enjoy your poem partly because of this like unexpected turn,、uh, even though there are hints to it,、right? but also because you hint at other aspect of your life, like I am suspicious, paranoid after thirty long years of encounters. The last time I smiled at them, they followed my steps, yelled remarks at my legs. Which, by the way, especially that last fragment makes me think of dogs. Yeah, that's pretty much what it felt like. <laughs>、uh, the last time I had any sort of instance, like a, a person cat, cat calling, I was walking to, in campus, and、uh, a car. There was this old white man driving this car. He literally does a U 
U-turn, illegal U-turn, by the way, mm. to step right next to me and just kind of like whistles to me as if I was a dog. And then he tells me, you have such my leg. I was wearing a dress at that time. Mm. You might get wet because it's going to rain soon. Do you want to come in? Like, you want to, <laughs> you want me to give you a ride? I'm like, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so my immediate reaction was to turn into what is called like the, the, the very few residency residence halls that we have in there where the students live mm-hmm. and pretend that I lived there because I mean <laughs> it was that or continue walking with this creep just following me yeah yeah and it's it's very disconcerting right because you know that he's not concerned about your legs getting wet and and yeah. you know <laughs> Most likely, if you had gotten into the car, you would have ended up in a ditch somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. I, similar to yours, I don't think it was the last time that like, I got catcalled. What you just described reminded me of once I was going home at night, I think probably from a poetry event, and this... I forget if it was a truck or one of those, whatchamacallits, SUVs, uh, like basically pulled into the driveway where I was going to go in the gate and just said, are you okay? Do you need a ride? (laughs) I was just like, get the hell out of here. Yeah, I mean, I, I did find out later on that apparently where I used to live was well known for sex workers, or it used to be. But still, you know, it's just so, I, I don't, yeah, I kind of want to, I want to talk to a sex worker who, one of those who actually work on the streets and want to find out if how they would feel, uh, like, if they would get into a car like that, if they were working on the streets. Yeah. I, honestly, like, I know they're trying to establish some sort of, like, they care for you, you know? And that way, you, you would get on the car with them. Yeah, which is complete BS, because it's it's yeah. even more scary, because they're establishing contact by using a lie in the first yeah. instance. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, lying already, how nice. That's not going to go anywhere well. I also love that in the in the first stanza, you give us the sense of who this person might be like, even though this is an uh, internet interaction. So tell us a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. So I came out as non-binary, specifically in Detroit. I cannot pronounce that. But anyway, I came out as non-binary when I was around 22 years old. Prior to that, I was just a very tomboyish girl. Mm-hmm. I was assigned being a little pepper, so I was very socialized as a girl as well, because of, that's how my parents saw me. Mm-hmm. Due to that, a lot of my early experiences with men were just completely negative. I think my first experience with like actual harassment and sexual assault, I was like 10 years old wearing a skirt when a man just slipped a hand under my skirt as he was uh, passing by on his bike and I was walking, just to slap my butt. Oh my I was God. 10 years old. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Ah, the nerve of people. Yeah. <laughs> Especially this is the like the man and I remember him. Like there's flashbacks, there's things that you associate now when and I see conversations going on kinda weird on the internet, like you said. Because mm-hmm. this is the type of I don't know how to call it, like it's the same approach that people take in real life as well to try and 
do exactly the same thing as this pervert when I was 10 years old did. Right. It's just like the same modus, I don't know how to say it, it's modus operandi, modus operandi, is that how you call it? Yeah. When you talk about a slur spice with cheap cologne, is this a memory from that incident or is this something that you assign to that memory? different other incidents pretty much amounting to like my 30 years of being alive right right so you tend to associate things like i said so i associate typically it's older men that smell of cologne that they just shower themselves with cologne sometimes of beer and being like slurring because they are drinking Mm. so yeah Mm. yeah you i'm so grossed out right now (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry for what you had to go through. It must have been horrible. And you kind of, you talk about this, right? Because even though when you said, until I took a sharp left to the unknown just to pretend I was safe, even though that, the unknown, you know, you don't talk about the, the residency hall because the unknown is more, it feels to me like something else. And yes. that, so I was wondering what that is to you. So on our, the residency hall, of the few ones that we have around campus, there's a high prevalence of unreported sexual harassment going on in there because it's mostly student athletes, which the great majority in our campus are white, this male. <laughs> so I took the risk of going through the residency hall at like late evening around seven, mm. knowingly that those instances have happened in the parking lot where I had taken the turn. Mm-hmm. And on the entry of the residence hall, in hopes of getting this group to get uh, like away from me. Wow, wow! So then, there's really no sense of safe harbor. Yeah, there, there really isn't. <laughs> My God, what is the school doing in terms of addressing some of these issues? Because it sounds like an open campus. It is a, it is an open campus. The only time it's quote-unquote close it's really just for cars because you have to pay for parking for some reason tuition is not enough so we have to pay for parking as well <laughs> but anybody can walk in or out of the any of the buildings really except for research labs that's it right and the university like, they do have the what is it the title nine training i believe it is in regards to sexual harassment mm-hmm. but that's about it that's all we have we do report statistics but uh we all know in larger society and bigger systems, the statistics don't really reflect the reality of the numbers of people who experience it. So we have very low numbers on the statistics, but hear from my students and I hear from other colleagues and it's more pervasive than the statistics make make seem. Right, right. I don't know if you want to talk about, are there improvements being made? Like, will there be security and more training? For instance, another person I spoke with who talked about their campus, but they were a student there. Apparently their school offers a mandatory course. It's sexual harassment and bystander training. It's mandatory before anybody can register for their major classes. They do have something like that for students. It's mm-hmm. an online video, really, uh, that they have to go through. They call them uh, as modules, so they have to finish them, uh, answer some questions, like uh, just make sure that they were paying attention. Mm. And then after that, they can go ahead and register. So what a lot of students do is they just, and I've seen them as I used to organize the orientations, <laughs> mm. they would 
it's just let the video running mm -hmm. and then because it's multiple choice question but you can't have it corrected and it will tell you you got a question wrong an answer wrong so you can go back and answer it <laughs> okay so but a lot of people don't really pay attention and and then for staff, the staff uh, has mandatory training. It's more thorough. It's three hours long. Mm -hmm. But we are trained as reporters. So meaning, who do we report if one of our students approaches us with an event of sexual harassment? Right. right. Are you guys, uh, the staff, mandatory reporters? Yes. And we, if we do not report and the student, let's say the student brings it to us, the student consents to having it reported and then later on they want to follow up on the report and they found out we didn't, we can get fired because of it. Okay. So it's not, well, I feel like mandatory reporting is whether or not the student consents, you still report, but this was more, the student has to consent before you report. Is that correct? We have to report regardless if the student consents. What we report is what varies on if the student consents or if the student doesn't. Uh, so if okay. the student says, I don't want to have my name attached to that report, we just don't attach their any identifying information. Okay. Okay. Uh -huh. Oh, well, that's good. At least, I mean, in terms of if you hear from students and at least that goes into the stats. I'm just like floored every time I hear these incidents, like the brazen nature of it all. Like how many of these poems have you written? Of this type, I'm actually, so I'm working on hopefully a manuscript for publishing. Mm -hmm. That is exactly uh, my experiences with since Matt. When I was growing up, I was very, on the, in Mexico, they don't teach you about it. And I'm pretty sure also in the United States, but they don't teach you a lot about like different sexualities. You don't hear from it until really you're in high school. Because mm -hmm. it's just something that nobody talks about. It's very mm -hmm. taboo to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I call it, it was compulsory heteronormativity because and heterosexuality because you knew a girl had to go with a boy and girls were girls and boys were boys and that was it. <laughs> so... I tend to write a lot about that in addition to my experiences with men because whenever you try and approach men on kind of like a same level field, at least from my experiences, mm. it's just very unpleasant conversation happening. They try and take advantage of you. They do different things. So it's a lot of writings that <laughs> I have on that. For those particular instances, someone on downright, like just a stranger doing it. Mm -hmm. But as you know, like the statistics for rape and sexual assault is mostly somebody you know and yeah that's the case for me mm -hmm. and it's incredibly you know it, it breaks your self-confidence it breaks your sense of ability to trust especially because they're people you know yeah and it creates a great deal of of guilt i think and i this is the, something that i felt in myself and i talk with other friends or people who have gone through something like that Mm -hmm. And it's somehow we interpret it as being it's our fault. We mm -hmm. allowed ourselves to be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. Which is unfair, right? We do want to feel like we have control over who we let into our lives. At the same time, there are very good liars out there. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. And also a lot of learning, life learning happens through iterations. So for people to somehow blame us for not having perfect friends mm -hmm. people who will take advantage after they've gotten to know us again i just 
feel like, okay, well, how conservative your life has to be in order to not let in anyone who might take advantage of you in any kind of way. Yeah, you pretty much have to like completely enclose yourself, live, live in a bubble in order for that to not happen. Right, right. So I think that's some of the frustrations. Rather than talk with the people who perpetrate these sexual assaults and sexual violence and breaking of boundaries, they often are not the ones who have to toe the line. In fact, usually they are the ones that are allowed to get away with stuff, and that's why they escalate. Exactly. And like you said, the training for like bystanders, watching sexual assault, sexual harassment happening, people don't, like, they don't stop it. They, they can see it, that it's happening, but they don't know what the line is of, like, should I intervene or it's not a, none of my business, why should I leave? Right. It's really frustrating because there is no standard training in the U.S. and I imagine Mexico as well, from what you are saying. Because it's kind of individual. We are not all into the same thing. Some people will accept certain interactions as opposed to others. And also there's this, I think it's still not understood widely enough that sexual assaults are about power rather than sex, which people think of as a privacy issue. Yeah. Did writing this poem help you to process what happened? Yes, this and many poems. I think one of the main things with my experience with sexual assault, sexual harassment, rape in itself, is that I froze. You know, you have your responses, five, five, weeks, and I froze. So I never knew how to respond to things happening. Mm-hmm. And whenever I tried to respond, like, you know, be assertive, tell people, like, to fuck off, pretty much, mm-hmm. there were all, always bigger repercussions. Uh, and this is in Mexico mostly, uh, but we have had people actually turn on U-turns and follow us around to see where we live. Mm-hmm. Uh, after we tried to be assertive, we as in my friends, mostly women. Mm-hmm. So it's always that you didn't have a voice either to defend yourself or afterwards because people would question you like well what were you, you were what were you doing that elicited this reaction from this man <laughs> so the writing has for me so powerful because it allows me to express how i felt and it's kind of like it's an open letter to all of these men that have done this to me to other fans to any other person really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's very important that our voices are raised to address these issues that are, you know, from our personal experience and also for society in general to should be questioning what the heck these men were doing or what what were these perpetrators, these these predators doing rather than to ask what the victims are doing to somehow deserve it. You know, like, if your wallet gets stolen, do people just say, well, did you use your wallet? Do people see you when you use your wallet? Uh-huh. Like, what kind of stupid-ass question is that? Just, exactly. It, it, it's just, it treats us as if our bodies are, you know, objects. Well, were you dressing your object in a provocative manner? <laughs> it, it, it's so 
disappeared but from that line of questioning because really it just continues uh, objectifying and identifying people and women mm. and it's just it's a cycle really like it continues objectifying them and therefore we interpret that as we are guilty of it mm-hmm. so it's hard to try and remove all of those layers of guilt and shame that you know because of these experiences right right it doesn't make any sense because again i i think is the underlying mentality is the problem this idea this belief that men and women are not equal that men are the ones who are should be making the initiative taking the initiative and women are there to just receive no matter where the attention is coming from or how the attention is coming that somehow yeah. we are like you said objects we don't have any agency that somehow you know we need to be grateful as if somehow we just some item on a shelf waiting to belong somewhere it's like, it's like what doesn't make any sense exactly and i think it's to this idea of underlying issues that i responded with my poem the fishing party which i'm going to read now bury yourself under ashes and toxic clouds cover your words with noisy crowds and blasting sounds forget the gist of what you're saying no one hears you anyways drown your mind with some piss color poison will set you free sell the stranger your deceptive depth Offer that one some philosophical bull. Hook the big fish who ate the hourglass if your medicine's good tonight. So when you said, actually the poem, I initially read it, I interpreted it as, I don't know if this is the intention of the poem, of course, but for me it was the idea of you are observing this person doing all of this during a party. Especially that part of like, sell this stranger to the deceptive that. Which I feel like a lot of people who tend to go into harass other people do. Like they show some depth and then it turns out that they're not really that person. They lie to you and that's how they get in. I don't know if that's what you intended with the poem and with that line. This particular poem was not from a personal experience so much as maybe it's a conglomerate. I don't actually hang out in bars so much, but this is a description of the pickup game in a bar, basically. Okay. And I always felt like the music is too loud, you're under the influence. It's not about getting to know people, but rather it's to hook up and not necessarily with the right person. And everything, the, the ambiance, the, the atmosphere, the taking of substances, volume, like you can't hear each other in a bar that plays loud music. So again, it's not about helping each other find the right match. It's much more about just randomly taking home the wrong person and it's an observation of someone who's trying to pick up femme or women um, mm-hmm. men picking up women and okay so i did get some of that perspective from like reading it and it's just so strong because yeah it's exactly how it is with the bar person or the hookup scene you're kind of presenting this deceptive persona of yourself because you're in a place where you cannot really listen to each other and talk to each other. Yeah. And it just generates like such bizarre expectations of what the person that you're going to meet there is going to do for you either that night or later. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. As we both said, it's not conducive to finding the person you want. It's not conducive to making clear judgment calls, period. Yeah. And so you can sort of understand when some of the horrible things, obviously a predator will be preying on victims wherever they feel comfortable hunting. Because it really, that is what it is. Predators hunt. Yeah. And especially people who are vulnerable. And given the, uh, the scene that you made, like the toxic clouds, the, uh, the uh, what was it? How do you call it? The, the color poison. Yeah. Alcohol and any, any sort of drugs, tobacco and everything. Like it clouds your, your judgment. And of course, predators are going to take advantage of that. Right, right. And at the same time, obviously, if we're talking about sexual assaults, we have to kind of step away from that and saying even under those circumstances, it is not acceptable to, you know, to, just like as a PSA, it's not acceptable to oh, yeah. prey on people. That's partly why I'm, I'm a very strong believer in affirmative consent and enthusiastic affirmative consent. Enthusiastic, yeah. Yeah. And I think the standards in this country, U.S. overall, is too low. I feel like the standard as we have now, for the most part, is that the men already have the right to touch, to access to our women and other people's bodies, and that it is the person who possess their bodies to refuse, to, again, fend off, rather than to teach people in general, but men specifically, that this body belongs to the individual that they belong to. And you need to get permission, enthusiastic, uncoerced permission before you try to access it. Yeah. One of the main things that I see also with the, the type of scene, like the bar scene and everything, people are there to enjoy themselves, but women apparently can't enjoy themselves in any type of scene really either walking down the street like in my case where where you wrote on what what you read on my poem and then in your case at a party because there's always going to be this man praying or this predators really yeah yeah and we know as female identified people is that <laughs> no matter how horrible what they do to us the fact is we're always going to get the blame for it. we're the ones who have to take responsibility for it even if it's it just a sense of guilt. It, it is so ultimately, unfortunately, society still put that weight on us so that, as you said, we can't have fun in a bar or just, you know, walk home after working <laughs> or yeah. go home after hanging out with our friends. Somehow, you know, women are not allowed to freely access whatever spaces there are. So it's incredibly frustrating because there is never a sense of being able to just relax, being able to feel safe and have the safe space to feel vulnerable. Yeah. It's kind of hitting me right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Because even, so I say this, I'm like, in my neighborhood, I don't go out. This isn't my house, not an apartment, my house i don't go out of my house by myself mm. not my neighborhood wow and this is the place where you're supposed to be like you know safe. this is where you sleep this is where you live this is where you do everything pretty much daily 
and you can feel safe even in your own home. Yeah, especially you know when it it comes to acquaintance sexual assaults, especially if you've experienced that or even heard statistics about that because it's so pervasive. But you know, there there's always the but you you kissed him, you hugged him, you did this, you did that. You know, it's like that doesn't mean consent, yeah. Right, right. It's like if you go test drive a car, oh, you bought it. I mean, imagine if that happens. People would just revolt. <laughs> there would be riots if that was the rule. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, oh <laughs> the opposite is like, oh yeah, you kissed him. That's why you can. He can do whatever. To you and yeah, got you looked, you looked in his general direction yeah yeah you smiled because you know even if you're not smiling at him you smiled <laughs> like, you must be willing and, and like god forbid if somebody is in the kink community for instance or just a non-binary which for some reason is included in the kink community because even though it's not a kink being non-binary it's just gender it's very separate that somehow if you're into one thing you must be into everything you know like yes consent to one thing doesn't mean consent to absolutely every single thing that crosses your mind yeah and again it goes back to this idea aside from the predatory aspect of matching and if pickup scenes bar scenes are like this generally like what my poem describes constructed to confuse basically everything is there to confuse to confound judgment then how are we supposed to match each other's wants and desires and needs right if we don't have the proper setting to even find out when the bar is just so low in the everyday sense then of course there's going to be a high prevalence of sexual assaults you know what comes to mind also with the when we're discussing and the poem as well, I can think of how an extra layer of like difficulty and even more, I guess like paranoia, like I was describing in my poem, mm. that trans women would feel with this type of deal. Yeah, like it goes like level level deeper in which you're not just trying to co- coerce into a sexual situation or just being sexual assaulted. You're now also being put on the spotlight trying to you know not to out yourself if it's not a safe place which more than likely is not a safe place to start with if the person is already sexually assaulting you right harassing you right right exactly and also because again this baseline this scenario of picking up at a bar let's call it a baseline if it's this (laughs) this uncertain this chaotic of a scene and in the greater world, there's no education in terms of what sexual possibilities are out there. People are so uncomfortable talking about sexual desires. And there isn't much standardization on, I don't think there is any teaching. I don't, I don't know state by state because it's state by state in the U.S. And as far as I know, even in liberal states, I don't, I don't know that it's uh, sexual desires what the spectrum of possibilities are out there. So how can people even know whether or not, you know, they will be comfortable or 
be sexually attracted to transgender people. Obviously, then transgender people are risking a lot more in revealing their gender identity to partners who they pick up in a bar or who they meet online even or anywhere. Yeah, and the disclosure really should be from the other partner side. Like if your hard wall is, I do not date trans people, you should be disclosing that. Right. Not forcing a trans person to offer themselves to a potentially dangerous person. Right, right. Especially people who are so phobic. Um, because again, they don't understand their own sexuality. They don't understand their own fears. They don't understand what they're comfortable with. Um, and the transgender person who they find an attraction to, then to their mind somehow becomes this, this attack on who they are as a person, which obviously is yeah, not. Primarily existing, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they, they want to erase that idea of feeling of shame by erasing this other person, which, again, does not make any sense. It's like, okay, just leave. Leave the situation. Go away and just realize this is not something you're into and just never do it again. <laughs> it's, it's just so confusing to me for people who... Like they they are uncomfortable with you know homosexual activity or sex, sexual contact with transgender people, but instead of just saying okay, then I won't have sex with those people, they're like, but I need to erase your existence. I need to take away your rights. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just to continue dehumanizing, like pretty much. That's the entire goal. You know, like since I started presenting more masculine, my, my the last couple that I talk about on the forum, mm -hmm. it was about three or four years ago, I believe. After that, I started presenting a little bit more masculine, like mask presenting, and everything stopped. Like no cut calls, no harassment, nothing. And at one point, like it's so ingrained in our system. I'm like, is there something wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why am I thinking this? I can go out, I can enjoy my neighborhood, I, I can enjoy campus without anybody tailing me. But I don't know what is it ingrained into our minds that we enjoy it, we have to enjoy it because we're receiving the attention. Yeah, I feel like some female identifying people are raised to think that that unwanted attention is the epitome of appreciation. Yeah. It becomes very toxic, right? Because then when we're not getting it, we're like, what's wrong with us? <laughs> Instead of saying, oh, awesome, we're not get getting harassed. <laughs> so, <Right>. so <laughs> we like, should be happy we're not getting harassed, but it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing. And again, it goes back to the underlying issues, societal issues, and the low bar that society has in terms of, how we judge external like approval what is external approval and what's appropriate external feedback approval just because someone is sexually harassing that does not mean they appreciate you change yeah. in fact what is going on is that we are interchangeable in that uh, setting in those settings because 
anybody else, it will be the same thing. They will still catcall. They will still make comments. And again, it's more about the catcaller than about us specifically and about the people who are perpetrating sexual assaults than us specifically because they are just taking whatever opportunities that they can get, whoever they can latch onto. So I, I really thank you for that really important point. I do know people femmes, who do measure their sense of self-worth based on how much they're being sexually harassed or even assaulted. Same thing for like when I started to want to have more individualized attention. Like I realized my standard was getting better because I was having a harder time finding people to date. I, I was starting to refuse to just take whoever would come along and the first person who comes and say, hey, you'll do kind of thing. <laughs> so I think again it's it's should be part of our sex ed system to understand that this might be a consequences of raising your standards and it's not talked about enough and again there's just so much confusion in terms of what we should accept what we should not accept and how we judge what others should accept because there there's also that discrepancy of what we might accept uh, for ourselves and what we tell others to accept. Yeah. And in that, you find a, a lot in the scenario of victim blaming as well. There, there are a lot of people who absolutely would not accept certain actions for their themselves or their own family members, but will accept it from predators. You know, like let's, what's going on politically speaking. People would say, okay, I approve of what he's doing, but I do not have anyone I, I know personally who do this thing. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just really, really frustrating. So many, so many different layers. I don't know if that's something else that you like to share in regards to the poem. Like maybe when you wrote it or what happened when you were writing it. I, you know, actually I don't, Remember, like it's, it's it's more like a conglomerate of different happenings. It's one of those observational poems where, like I said, I don't hang out in bars a lot, but when I have, this is what I observe, and I just felt like it was such a turnoff because I'm like, how are you supposed to pick up people? I mean, at the same time, I've been tipsy before and drunk before, and so I know how alcohol can serve as a social lubricant, you know? <laughs> so. I feel like I've been very lucky in this sense that I haven't had knock on wood. I'm afraid to say these things because, <laughs> you know, you don't want to jinx it. It's like you're inviting them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I'm very well aware of other people's horrible experiences. And I think I'm, I might have been just lucky because, first of all, I don't go to bars a lot. So there's that. 
in any case, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about our poems and share with me your personal experiences. And I hope that this hasn't made you feel like really stressed because, you know, it's a lot to unpack. Yeah, and I think it's good that we're discussing it. Like, it's best, it's better that we're discussing it as opposed to continue just like hiding it away, maybe just put it in our poetry pages and never actually talking about it in public. Because mm. it just brings up like the idea that, hey, this is happening, it is happening to every um, person that you know in your life, whether you think not, it is actually happening. Yeah, yeah. And, like, this is the things that we're worried about, and these are the things that you could possibly do to, you know, make it easier for us. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully for people who are listening that they are willing to learn from our experiences. I read somewhere that guys continuously underestimate the amount of sexual harassment, sexual assaults women face. I think by by a third or something. Like I forget the exact number, so I'm not going to quote it because I don't want to misquote it. So before I let you go, I would love for you to tell us when you're thinking about releasing your book and also how we might follow you via social media or if you have a website. I do have a published book. You can find it on Amazon because it's self-published and it's called Para Los Locos mm -hmm. or For the Crazy Ones. Uh, it's poetry in reverse to mental health and the mental health stigma mm -hmm. and the community that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. Is that in Spanish only or is it bilingual as well? It's bilingual, so the poems all are in Spanish and English. And it's, uh, I think right now it's on Amazon as Kindle and regular book format okay and finally social media you can follow me on instagram and it's cadaveres and you spell it it's a d a a b as in victor mm -hmm. e r e f underscore literarios mm -hmm. and it's i'm sorry if i mess this up it's l i t e r a r i o s okay or if that's too hard to, to find you can also find me on facebook and it's lee martinez soto Mm -hmm. which is my, my last name, okay. and I have all my social media connections. Great, great. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you very much again for your time. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. This, this was fun. Good. It's stressy, but fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, given what we're talking about, yes, understandable. Thank you. <laughs> you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to the Poets and Muses newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week. And I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.